Hey everyone, this episode of We The Students is sponsored by Little Oven Pizza of Merced. Guys, I love pizza. You love pizza, we all love pizza. If you want quality New York style pizza from a local business dedicated to serving its community, there is no, I mean no substitute for Little Oven Pizza. Fresh ingredients derived from similarly local sources combine for some delicious pies. On top of that, they offer daily specials that range from the bandito, which features dates, jalapeno, roasted garlic, and salami, to my personal favorite, the pesto hog, which which features sausage, roasted garlic, pesto, and ricotta. Little Oven Pizza, right on Main Street, next to the cinema. Go follow their Instagram page to see their daily menu board, and grab a slice next time you're in that area. And with that, onto the show. Welcome to We the Students, where we delve into questions and issues high schoolers want answers to. I'm your host, David Chen. One of the most important questions students today ask is, how do you become successful? What magic ingredient is there to be a successful student? While I must admit there is no one answer to these questions, today we will explore one aspect of success for students that is often overlooked in my opinion. I mean seriously. What do we always hear when we ask how to be successful? We hear the same things. Work hard, be consistent, laziness is dangerous, and apply yourself. While these things are important, I argue that there is one crucial factor, a characteristic overlooked by many, that is essential to student success, and that's adaptability. Adaptability, or the ability to change and adjust to new conditions, is more important than we give it credit for. It comes from the Latin root aptus, which means to fit or to mold. Today, we will explore the myriad ways in which we can mold ourselves in school to achieve greater results, and how this translates to greater success, and of course, how to train this adaptability characteristic. This episode was inspired by a few TED Talks that highlighted adaptability as a vehicle for success, mainly as an entrepreneur. But that got me thinking, Is adaptability as useful to students as it is to businessmen and women? We know of the intelligence quotient, or IQ, but what does a student's AQ, or adaptability quotient, have to say about their success in school? We'll begin by listening in to some of these same TED Talks, then we'll discuss their ideas through the lens of school, and we'll wrap it up talking about all the ways students could potentially train their adaptability. The TED Talk is from a venture capitalist investor, Natalie Frado. When she is interviewing CEOs who's looking for her money, she is not looking for who has the most experience or who has the most ambition. She's looking for just how adaptable they are to unexpected or undesirable situations. Take a listen. I met 273 startup founders last year, and each one was looking for money. As a tech investor, my goal was to sort through everyone that I met and make a quick determination about which ones had the potential to make something really big. But what makes a great founder? This is a question I ask myself daily. Some venture capitalists place bets based on a founder's previous background. Did they go to an Ivy League school? Have they worked at a blue-chip company? Have they built out a big vision before? Effectively, how smart is this person? Other VCs assess the founder's emotional quotient, or EQ. 
how well will this person build teams and build rapport across customers and clients? I have a different methodology to assess startup founders, though, and it's not complicated. I look for signs of one specific trait, not IQ, not EQ. It's adaptability, how well a person reacts to the inevitability of change, and lots of it. That's the single most important determinant for me. I subscribe to the belief that adaptability itself is a form of intelligence, and our adaptability quotient, or AQ, is something that can be measured, tested, and improved. So there we have it. Our AQ, adaptability quotient, is as concrete and definitely as important as our traditional methods of aptitude like IQ or EQ. But there's more. AQ isn't just useful for startup founders, however. I think it's increasingly important for all of us because the world is speeding up. We know that the rate of technological change is accelerating, which is forcing our brains to react. Whether you're navigating changing job conditions brought on by automation, shifting geopolitics in a more globalized world, or simply changing family dynamics and personal relationships, each of us, as individuals, groups, corporations, and even governments, are being forced to grapple with more change than ever before in human history. Adaptability isn't just a desirable entrepreneur attribute. Natalie Frado argues that our society itself needs to come to terms with our rapidly changing world and embrace adaptation as a key characteristic. But I think there's another side to all this, that students are actually faced with what she's exactly describing, a rapidly changing environment that forces our brains to react. Think about it. Changing schools or transitioning from middle school to high school is like changing jobs. We constantly have to switch mental gears, going from period to period, subject to subject, teacher to teacher. We have to identify and adapt to grading systems, teaching preferences, testing, homework, bell schedules on a Monday, bell schedules on a Wednesday, sports schedules, friend schedules, you name it. School is overwhelmingly chaotic. It makes perfect sense that a student who is able to change and adapt to mold him or herself quickly and efficiently would find the easiest time succeeding. And deep down, I think we can all find examples where this applies. Think back. Have you ever gotten used to a certain teacher's habits? Like when they accept late work, test makeups, and homework, but then suddenly you're thrust into a new class next year or even next period and it's drastically different? If you don't adapt, you'll find yourself quickly flooded. We interview Kate Colvin, a senior, who went through something very similar. I obviously wanted to talk to you about the academic side of what you think mm -hmm. adaptability is. And you mentioned earlier before we started recording that um, one of your essays that you were thinking about writing for your UC application. Oh. You were thinking about, it was, it was the, uh, what's your strongest trait, right? Yeah. Your strongest characteristic, yeah. and you mentioned adaptability. Mm -hmm. what, what was your reasoning behind that? Um, well, I think that for any setting, you have to be very adaptable, or to be successful at all, you have to be adaptable. Right. Because, like, um, so, okay, just to, like, give an example, like, you were talking about this earlier, but, like, for your academic classes, you have to be able to um, learn and succeed with lots of different types of teachers. Right. So, you know, how one person might teach and, like, give assignments and stuff is different 
than another teacher. Like they might not give assignments at all or um, they might expect you to study just on your own and to be able to learn that way. And it just all comes down to the specific environment you're in. But if you're able to adapt, you can succeed in most environments. Yeah, and we both share many classes uh, in high school, ranging from you know physics, chemistry, and I think we can both agree that all of their teaching styles were drastically different. Yeah. Um, and like I mentioned before, before we started recording, there are different types of learners, right? You know, there are auditory learners, tactile learners, visual learners. Me personally, I think I took a quiz and it labeled me as a tactile learner or something. But just because you're one type of learner doesn't mean that you'll be able to fit in every single situation. What if one teacher is mainly focused on the visuals or having you take down notes, meaning more tactile? So being able to come out of your comfort zone and to succeed in multiple different types of situations, I guess, would contribute to a successful student. Would you, would you say so? Yeah. Right. Would you, can you think of an example where you had to adjust drastically to a teaching situation or teaching environment? Yeah, well, um, freshman year, mm -hmm. um, obviously high school just as a whole is different from middle school, but um, I was put into AP Bio with you and the rest of the class, and I had not been used to a setting where basically the teacher would just lecture and then you take down notes. And even though she like she gave us lots of um, like tools and stuff and like packets and things, like I just wasn't sort of used to an environment where I'd have to like listen intensively in class, take notes, and then go home, study on my own, and then take a test. Right, a more independent approach to... Yeah, and I think that just came with being um, a high schooler as a whole, but sort of being put into AP Bio like that sort of just mm -hmm. heightened the whole right, thing. Right, just jump into the deep end, right? Yeah, exactly. Right, so how did you, um, in the end, adapt? Well, it took a little bit. Um, first semester was off a little rocky, especially because um, I had to make up lots of uh, um, chapters. Oh, right. But, um, you know, like, you just sort of get into it. I mean, learning how to study and learning how to do things on your own is important. And um, after sort of getting over that first initial bump, mm -hmm. it was sort of smooth sailing from there. Okay. So do you remember any specific things that you had to adjust for that class? Um, not really. I mean, everything was sort of brand new. Mm -hmm. But I think just sort of once you get used to it, it's all right. Right. Okay. Do you have any other classes where you had to adjust? You know, you, you learned because, you know, between freshman and sophomore, for instance, and sophomore to junior, there are some teachers who are like, oh, you can make up and, oh, you can make up quizzes. You can turn in homework later. And then to the next year, we can transi transition to a very strict teacher with a very strict syllabus. Do you remember a situation like that where you had to adjust similarly? Yeah, I think actually going um, from bio to chem, oh, I mean, right. those are very different teachers. And um, I think, well, like, I don't think there's really, a, you can't really say, oh, this teaching style is better than this teaching style. Exactly. I, right. I definitely like a lot more structure. Mm -hmm. And so it was hard <laughs> going from a place where, you know, they were like specific packets and like we always knew the due dates and we always knew like the next assignment, things like that to a place where like we sort of had you know worksheets but there wasn't really a clear due date and everything was sort of tentative mm -hmm. um, that was difficult as well um, but yeah but you succeeded in that class though pretty yeah. well and yeah. so so what did you have to adjust in order to do that I think I sort of just had to set out a lot more time to to make sure I was like working through the assignments um, 
you can obviously use a lot of like online resources to make sure you're learning everything right. as best you can. But it, it's a lot of just sort of like trying things out and seeing what works. Mm -hmm. But obviously it's not about like, because a contrary reaction to changing from a very well-structured class to uh, a different class, you know, simply you could just say, you know what, this class isn't for me, I'm going to drop it, right? Or I'm just going to stick to what I know and that might not translate to a very successful grade. <laughs> yeah. right? So, b But being open, I guess, to yeah. change and being open to trying new things out, right, like you said, mm -hmm. um, could definitely lead to adap adaptation, right, at least in the classroom learning experience. Yeah. So, there you have it. Again, whether you're transitioning from middle school to high school, or from one class to another, you are always subject to change. The important part is deciding what to do when change arrives. In Kate's case, she decided to learn and change her study habits to fit a certain teaching style. She had to accept that she had to do more of some things and less of others in order to succeed. The key takeaway? Adaptability in school comes from the recognition of, ch of a change, and the decision to do something about it. As we move on with the podcast, I encourage you to consider all the things that this, this school year so far has changed for you. Have you adapted yet? What could you do to adapt? What choices should you make? In another sense, moving schools, or at least with our next interview, moving states, can pose a massive difficulty talk about a huge change. We talk with Kaiman alum, also a senior, to discuss her transition between California and New York. Uh, you moved to New York and back. Yeah. Um, you were originally from here, from Merced. You moved to New York for, what, three years? Yeah. And then you moved back to California. So you went through two rounds yes. of, of massive change. Yeah. Um, what, what do you remember being, like, the most drastic change that, that you had to go through going to New York? Right. Um, I think it's just going from middle school to high school was, you know, hard enough because I went oh, right, yeah. to freshman year in New York. So I knew, like, absolutely no one. Mm -hmm. No one never heard or, like, nobody in town. Uh -huh. Um and the school itself, like the building in New York, everything has to be indoors because, you know, snow and yeah. the weather. So everything was indoors. It was two stories. There were only 1,000 kids in that school, which is, like, really different from Mercer. Mercer has, like, 1,800. So also it was, like, smaller and, you know, the diversity was very different. I was, like, always, like, the only Asian. Oh. Or the only, like, <laughs> minority oh, in the class. Yeah. yeah, there was, like, no, like, Hispanics. So that was also, you know, population really different. Right. from Merced and then coming back here was also different because I came back as a high schooler since I lived when I lived here I was like a middle school I was small and everybody's all, all you know, like, and yeah all and it was yeah. yeah seeing some people like I haven't seen three years like change so much even mm -hmm. like you like you kind of changed a little and right, I was like yeah. oh David yeah, so yeah. yeah yeah so let's talk about like that middle school to high school transition because mm -hmm. I'm talking about that a little in the po podcast but mm -hmm. You not only had to transition middle school to high school, but you had to transition middle school in California to high school in New York. Yeah. So in terms of your classes and your teachers and, and just that academic side, what did you realize that changed the most? And also, how did you adapt to that? Um, the biggest difference is that 
bunch of people had taken high school classes in middle school in New York, mm. which is like it's already built in their curriculum. It's not it's like their advanced class, but they we didn't have that immersive like in Kirkstrang. We had like you know like I guess one advanced math, but that was it. Like over there has like science, math, English, and all that stuff. So like all I tried to get into I guess advanced classes or like try to you know stay with my peers, but some of them were just like already ahead of me, and I I kind of felt. Behind the yeah, board. and kind of discouraged, but I tried and tried to you know pass some of the class, some of the tests that I had to do. Which we have regents; it's like the statewide test. So like, so take some of that, and yeah, all my friends were like a few, like a year ahead, and I was like, oh, that's a little sad, but I managed. Well, you kept you, you yeah. kept with it though, right? Yeah, so you changed yeah. your mindset in that yeah, I couldn't, you were kind of behind mm -hmm. not out of your intention not that you were you know not not that you were lazy or anything yeah. it's just because of the system and how you got into it so late mm -hmm. but keep you still kept at it you still I'm, I'm assuming you still took advanced classes yeah right? I still kept with no, it. as much as I could but right. some of them I couldn't because you know I had to take these classes before mm -hmm. and the biggest difference is that they have IB at my school oh and not AP yeah they had I guess three AP class some of the IB and AP were the same right. but the only AP class that I could take was AP Euro and AP APUSH, like the history ones. Right. And the other, the other ones like math and science, chem, they were all IB. Mm -hmm. So, and IB is just like totally different from AP in that there's like two year courses. And so that was like a big difference. And coming back here, all my friends has taken all these AP courses and I've taken uh, like barely. IB. And yeah. And some of them doesn't transfer as college. So that's like, it's, it's just like really different. different. Yeah. So. Yeah. What was your mindset going into all of this? Well, for instance, going into California, going to New York, do you remember your mindset and how you thought? Oh, my, I was just like, I'm going to try my best. You know, like, I'm going to try to make friends, try to be, you know, stay on top of any classes. And I'm like, I consider myself as kind of awkward, so I was really scared trying to make friends. I think that was my freshman year in high school. I was just like, I was like, oh, I need friends. And... So that was like mostly where I was at, and then like obviously like trying to stay on top of like schoolwork, which I wasn't really worried about. But right. Yeah. But, but you accepted the fact that you needed to change or adapt, <laughs> right? While this situation can't apply to everyone, there are some important points made here. Kaimana had to accept her situation where she was behind in classes in New York, not because she didn't want to take them before, but because she couldn't. She was in another state at the time. But nonetheless, she took what she could and made the most out of it. While her move to New York wasn't completely unexpected, she couldn't possibly have foreseen all the changes she had to go through. In that way, Kaimana needed to adapt. But now here's the question, how do we, as students, learn to become adaptable? How do we exercise our AQ? Let's turn back to Natalie Frado, who has three tricks, so to speak, that trains adaptability. I use three tricks when meeting with founders. Here's the first. Think back to your most recent job interview. What kind of questions were you asked? Probably some variation of, tell me about a time when, right? Instead, to interview for adaptability, I like to ask, what if questions? What if your main revenue stream were to dry up overnight? What if a heat wave prevented every single customer from being able to visit your store? Asking what if, instead of asking about the past, forces the brain to simulate, to picture multiple possible versions of the future. The strength of that vision, as well as how many distinct scenarios someone can conjure, 
tells me a lot. Practicing simulations is a sort of safe testing ground for improving adaptability. Instead of testing how you take in and retain information, like an IQ test might, it tests how you manipulate information, given a constraint, in order to achieve a specific goal. The second trick that I use to assess adaptability in founders is to look for signs of unlearning. Active unlearners seek to challenge what they presume to already know, and instead override that data with new information, kind of like a computer running a disk cleanup. Take the example of Destin Sandlin, who programmed his bicycle to turn left when he stared at right, and vice versa. He called this his backwards brain bike, and it took him nearly eight months just to learn how to ride it, kind of, sort of, normally. The fact that Destin was able to unlearn his regular bike in favor of a new one, though, signals something awesome about our adaptability. It's not fixed. Instead, each of us has the capacity to improve it through dedication and hard work. On the last page of Gandhi's autobiography, he wrote, "I must reduce myself to zero." At many points in his very full life, he was still seeking to return to a beginner's mindset, to zero, to unlearn. In this way, I think it's pretty safe to say Gandhi had a high IQ score. <laughs> the third and final trick that I use to assess a founder's adaptability is to look for people who infuse exploration into their life and their business. There's a sort of natural tension between exploration and exploitation, and collectively, all of us tend to overvalue exploitation. Here's what I mean. In the year 2000. A man finagled his way into a meeting with John Antioco, the CEO of Blockbuster, and proposed a partnership to manage Blockbuster's fledgling online business. The CEO John laughed him out of the room, saying, "I have millions of existing customers and thousands of successful retail stores. I really need to focus on the money." The other man in the meeting, however, turned out to be Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix. In 2018, Netflix brought in 15.8 billion dollars. While Blockbuster filed for bankruptcy in 2010, directly 10 years after that meeting, the Blockbuster CEO was too focused on exploiting his already successful business model, so much so that he couldn't see around the next corner. In that way, his previous success became the enemy of his adaptability potential. For the founders that I work with, I frame exploration as a state of constant seeking, to never fall too far in love with your wins, but rather continue. Proactively seek out what might kill you next. Asking what-if questions, learning how to unlearn, and valuing exploration over exploitation. Let me interpret these tricks through the lens of a student. What do what-if questions sound like for students? Well, here's a few. At the beginning of the semester, if my teacher has heavy night homework and I have sports to do, what should I do? What if my first semester was easy, and suddenly the se- second semester is hard? What if I reach a point where everything seems to be piling on and become stressed? What's my response? Like what Natalie said, simulations help us train us、uh, in considering situations in need of adaptation. I think most importantly for students, though, is not just what if questions, but questions every day assessing your school life. Am I comfortable in my situation? If I'm overworked, sleep-deprived, and thinking I'm falling behind, is it because school is randomly more difficult, or am I just not adapted to my current environment? 
Knowing and thinking about these questions allow ourselves to practice adaptability. And what about unlearning? What does that mean to a student? Aren't we in school to learn, not unlearn? For us, I think it's about unlearning things like daily schedules, sleep schedules, and study habits. What worked for you one year or in one class might not work for the next. Being able to not study at all and ace tests in, for instance, a science class doesn't mean you can do that for an English class or perhaps a math class. Or maybe your first semester you're sleeping in at 12am every day, but the next semester you have sports practice and you simply can't. Making yourself pliable and changeable when it comes to school habits is the same as unlearning riding that bike. Except if now being able to ride a bike, you get good grades. And finally, exploration over exploitation. In my opinion, this is the most important strategy for adaptability when it comes to students. Too often, we get into a groove at school doing the minimum we need to scrape by or doing the same thing we've always done to get by in a class. I think you know what I mean. Cramming assignments, cramming for finals or tests, cramming this, cramming that, doing lackluster homework, sleeping during class, not sleeping after class. Sometimes we do all these things and somehow scrape by. We are exploiting it. Instead, of, instead think about exploration, about being the guy who can think of Netflix over Blockbuster. Think about going to college and think if your current habits will translate well over to college. Ask yourself, are your habits still a blockbuster? Are you still exploiting them? Or are you making efforts to create your own Netflix, to explore new habits or better habits? And that's the beautiful thing about adaptability. 10, 20 years from now, Netflix could be the next blockbuster, being swept away by some newfangled startup. To put it simply, it's a change or to be changed world out there. I want to wrap this up by discussing ways to further train adaptability. Or more specifically, can you put yourself in a situation to actively adapt? I have two answers. The first is to be part of a club board or be a club officer. Leadership is an ever-changing dynamic where you have to constantly assess what you're doing and how you can improve. And there's always surprises. Just one example, I am part of Science Club and our school recently stopped hosting food fairs for clubs to go out and sell food during lunch. Previously, food fairs were our main source of revenue, bringing in anywhere from $600 to $800 a year. Now, it's gone. And we have to find alternate sources of fundraising, like coupon books or selling science kits. Adapt and overcome. That's the only way to do it. The second answer, and one that we'll take a deeper look into, is sports. Now I must admit, I don't play every sport out there, so I can't say for all sports. But at least the ones that I do play, tennis and aquatics, there are actually a lot of parallels with adaptability. Let's talk to Cal Slatten, a senior and tennis player, on what he believes tennis adaptability looks like. Hey Cal. Hello. Thank you for, uh, for joining us in this uh, little segment here. Um, so to introduce yourself a little bit, you are... I'm Cal Slotten. Uh -huh. I attend Merced High School. Cool. I play tennis, and this year I'm focused a little more on academics than I was. Oh, okay. You know, you know. Yeah, it was respectable. Um, so how long have you been playing tennis? I've been playing tennis for two years. I started my sophomore year, and mm -hmm. I'm coming into my senior season. 
Mm. It hasn't started yet, but we're starting up in spring. Mm. Uh, it's going to be an exciting year. It's looking like our team's, you know, it's pretty solid. Cool. And what was last year's season like for you? Uh, last year's season was just it was it was great to be honest. We got a whole we got a new freshman. We got a a whole bunch of people stepping up. Um, I went from 12 to number one and two, which was a like mm -hmm. big jump. I was yeah. really proud of myself. And our record improved by pretty much 100%. What? We went from one and, I think, what was it? One and 11 uh -huh. to 12 and two. Actually, no, 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 one and 13, one and 12 13. and two. Okay, so yeah, so it was a we, huge we went from progress. one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the league, to second place, which, yeah. is, which is a pretty good jump. Yeah, yeah, and of course that can be attributed to all the players stepping up and stuff Definitely, like that. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you know why I'm here. I want to talk to you about adaptability and at least what you think adaptability means to a tennis player. Mm -hmm. So what do you think adaptability means throughout tennis, just as a tennis concept? Where does adaptability come in? Adaptability is everything in tennis. The thing that makes a good tennis player a good tennis player is the changeup. Being able to change hit a shot that is different than the last shot. Because once you get a player into a flow, and once a player is just used to a shot you're hitting, that's when they can start teeing up on you, mm -hmm. and that's when they can start playing their best game. So in order to play your best game, you have to be constantly changing, and you have to be able to change to their change. It's just, oh, okay. it, it's, a, it's, a double, it's a double adaptability. <laughs> but one yeah. player is attempting to constantly change, and you're trying to adapt. Vice yeah. versa. So, tennis, the, the way to win is, is through change. You have to uh, recognize things that are happening in someone's game and being able to uh, exploit those. It, right? yeah. Exactly. So, adaptability is like uh, recognizing different spins and uh, changing your swing to, to better uh, make contact with those spins mm -hmm. and uh, fixing a serve to kick to the backhand side or the forehand side. It's, you know what I mean, there's, there's a lot of specifics and adaptability is, is pretty much everything in tennis. Right, um, and now the million dollar question is, um, so how adaptable do you think you are in tennis? I would say, I'm, I'm not too adaptable. That's, that's one of the um, worst parts of my game, definitely. Mm. I mean, it needs, it needs a major improvement. When I'm playing someone with uh, who hits the ball flatter, who hits the ball lower, I, I struggle a lot. It's like. The, the game that I do do well against is a pretty common game, which is uh, like a medium height ball with decent spin, mm -hmm. uh, pretty consistent. That's a game that I play really well against, right. but anything unusual, I, I seem to struggle a lot. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, there isn't a lot of unusual players in the, in the league. Yeah. That's only at higher levels, but it's, uh, adaptability is definitely my, one of the lower parts of my game. Right, so, so once you did move up from the 12th place position to the first place position, mm -hmm you started encountering more high-level players. Exactly. That's where it started to mm -hmm. become more difficult for you, right? The actual, no, the actual unusual thing was I started to see uh, a lot more like normalities with higher-level players. Oh. When I played uh, doubles and I played uh, low singles, like six to five and number one doubles, I saw a lot of unusual playing styles. I saw a two-handed forehand. I saw oh. people who strictly only hit back uh, backspin on all their shots. Mm -hmm. I saw just some some game that I just wasn't really used to. But once I moved up, everything was so normal and orthodox. It was just like, it was heaven to me because I was just teeing up on balls that were really easy to hit. And I actually enjoy, and I feel like I play better against people who play well, but play very normal. That's interesting, isn't it? Turns out Cal plays better against consistent players, even if they're more advanced. Once you encounter chaotic play styles, then it gets worse. For another sport, like water polo, we'll talk to Ethan Ham and Vincent Arroyo to see what they have to say. 
you know why we're here, we're talking about adaptability. Uh, but let's just start off, what do you think adaptability means in water polo? Uh, flexibility and the way to recover. I think it means uh, the way to be able to look at a situation in the pool and to be able to uh, change your style of playing or change what you're doing to uh, accommodate to the game. Right. And you say style of playing. What do you mean style of playing? Um, say there's a team that's really, really grabby or a team that's uh, dropping on set from two different positions. You have to adapt. You have to be able to, to recognize that and start making passes from the outside, shots from the outside, start coming in closer to the cage and not entering into set as much. Okay, so yeah, that was a lot of that was a lot of language there that not many people can might understand. But I guess to summarize, you know, certain types of teams play certain types of aggression, right? Yeah. So obviously you have to conform to that. Um, what type of player do you think you are? Like aggressive wise or do you like playing defense or something? Um, I like playing in the set, whether it's on offense or defense. So I kind of, I like playing kind of grabby, not really grabby, but I like getting wrestling kind of. Yeah, wrestling, getting right. physical a lot. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Vince? Um, I would say I'm more of a perimeter player. Yeah, because uh, I'm not as big as Easton. So <laughs> when I get compared to someone else that's in whole set D, which is going to be like someone the size of Easton. Um, like 60 or something, it's going to be hard for me to adjust to that because they're stronger and bigger and their defense is going to be way better. And so if I'm on the perimeter, I have a better shot and better opportunities to help my team out and score. Right, yeah. Can you guys think of an example where you really had to adapt to you know, a certain player that you had to guard or a certain team that you had to play? Yeah, okay. For example, um, when we went against LCAP last year. Last year, right. Um, so we found out late in the game that they were a counterattack team, uh, and yeah. there was this one player that was a swimmer, and he did water polo just to keep in shape. So I found out that he was mostly just gonna swim like half the team. So what the reason, the way I had to adjust to that was um, I had to look at the shot clock every second just to make sure that he wouldn't dust me on the counter attacks and right. it actually it actually worked out because um, I got back on defense when I needed to. See the similarities? It's amazing how sports forces all of its athletes to adapt. And of course this doesn't apply, just apply to those two sports. I can think of scenarios in football, basketball, volleyball, baseball, soccer, heck even chess that requires some level of adaptability from its players. So I guess this is me saying, if you want a taste in training your AQ, just join the sport. I hope this episode came off helpful to you. As you know, this is our first episode of We The Students in Season 2, and there are still many more to come, more ideas and more perspectives. If you have a suggestion on an episode or would like to be featured on this podcast, email me at duhe.chen0714 at gmail.com or follow our Twitter at wethestudentsp1 and DM me. Thank you all, and of course, thank you to our sponsor, Little Oven Pizza, and we'll see you in the next episode.